16. Romans 16. We're going to be finishing up our study here in the book of Romans. And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just thankful to be here and for the time to come together and just uh, study your word. And we just thank you for the beautiful morning here. Thank you for this wonderful time of worship. And just pray that you would just go before this teaching, this message. Let your spirit speak. And we also just want to pray that you'd be with all the classrooms going on in the back, all the Sunday schools, all for you and your glory in your name. Amen. So we're finishing, finally, I should say, finishing up Romans here. Uh, started the study quite some time ago. I made a joke last week about, I don't know how long we've been in Romans, but it's been quite some time. And so got a text after church. I go back and I check my phone after the services to see if I have any messages or texts or emails or anything. And I had a text from somebody, and it just said a date. I think it was like September 17th, 2011. And didn't know for sure what it was. So I texted him back, and I said, I don't know for sure. And they said, oh, that's when you started Romans, was September 17, 2011. It's like, oh, okay, you know, eight months that we've been in Romans. The interesting thing about it, though, the person texted me at 1047, which they texted me during the middle of the service. <laughs> and to go one step further, it was my dad. So <laughs> there you go. Just want to let everybody know. Romans 16. We are going to be uh, doing this as our second week in Romans 16. Last week, if you weren't with us, what we did is we did a name study in Romans 16. Romans 16 has over 30 different names mentioned to different people, serving the Lord in different ways and different capacities. And we went through and studied what some of those names mean, what some of those names represent, because even though this book was written 2,000 years ago, the same struggles that we struggle with, they struggled with as well. The same areas where we need to work on and serve, they needed to work on and serve as well too. And so we could really look into their lives and see who they were and how that applies to us as well. So now we're going to come back and do Romans 16, but we're going to do it a little bit more the way we used to. It's this idea of the verse-by-verse -verse study. Now, with that being said, the first topic here in Romans 16 is this idea of service. Now, the problem is when you hear a message about service, you automatically say, okay, I know where we're going with this. We're supposed to serve. We got it. Can't we move on? This is a little bit different. If you just will follow along with me real quick. Here in the first section of this book, there are six different verses, all dealing with this idea of service. Look at verse 1. Romans 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. That really sets the scene here for the rest of this study, is this idea of being a servant and serving, verse 2, assisting, and this is a point that's continued on. You have in verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, fellow workers. You have in verse 6, Mary, who labored much. Verse 9, you have Urbanus, our fellow worker. Verse 12, you jump ahead and you have Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labored in the Lord. And then in verse 21, you have Timothy, my fellow worker. This idea of this repetition of these words, worker and laborer, and getting out there and doing something, doing something. See, it's a lot of work as a church to meet the physical and spiritual needs of a church and a dying world. That's what we're here to do. See, so often we keep thinking the purpose of church is to come and say, feed me, entertain me, excite me. The reason hopefully you come on a Sunday morning is that you get to be around a couple hundred people and say, how can I serve you? How can I sign up for? What can I do to help? And how can I minister to people? At the same time, I hope by being blessed by the worship and being blessed by the message and being blessed by the fellowship. It's a catch-all. But the reason we're here is to work and to serve. And I don't mean here necessarily right now, on this world. 
Now, why don't we do that? Well, the truth of the matter is it's tough. That word for labor in verse 6 and verse 12, it means to literally grow weary, to grow tired, to be exhausted. Ministry is tough work. And I don't mean ministry as being a pastor. I'm just saying being a Christian is tough work. There's a lot of people that need served. There's a lot of people that need loved. It's tough to do that. And the goal is, verse 2, that we may assist people in whatever business they have need of. Wouldn't you love it if verse 2 was a description of you, that they described you? as a servant in verse 1. And then in verse 2, they described you somebody that assists, they need assistance in whatever business they have need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and myself also. Wouldn't you love it if people described you, oh, who's James? Well, he's been a helper of many and myself also. What a blessing that is. That's that service mentality, that servanthood that we're looking for. So now what happens is everybody says, okay, I know I'm supposed to serve, so let's just get right into it. Let's just talk about the sign-up sheets in the back. Let's talk about the areas that need help, the cleaning ministry, Belmore VBS. No, no that's not what we're talking about. Because see, here's this thing. We can guilt you into signing up for stuff. We can do that, okay? But that's not what we want. We're not looking for warm bodies to fill a spot. We want people that are prayed over this and said, this is where I feel the Lord leads me to go, and this is where the ministry that God has given me. Now, we use that term ministry. If you remember from our previous studies, the Bible says that every member is a minister. If you're involved in church, you're a minister. Do you have a ministry? That means you have a place where God says, I want you to go serve. And I don't want people just to sign up to sign up because they're tired of hearing the announcement. Well, I guess somebody's got to do it. If nobody's going to do it, I guess somebody's got to do it. No, we don't want that. Because what happens then is you're serving in an area that you're not called to do. Yes, you're willing to do it, but you're not called there, and it's not going to be as blessed and as fruitful as it possibly could be. In fact, you'll probably get discouraged. In fact, you'll probably get grumpy. We don't need more grumpy Christians. We've got plenty of those. What it comes down to is we want people that have sought the Lord and said, this is where I'm called to serve. I had a situation recently We've been announcing an area we needed help with. Someone came up to me and said, I've been praying over this and praying over it for three weeks, and I really feel this is where the Lord wants me to go. I said, I like that. I like it when someone says, I'm just not going to say yes. I'm going to seek the Lord. Because if we make an announcement of, hey, we need so-and-so to lead up this, and if someone comes up to me right after church and says I'm willing to do it, I usually say, hey, why don't you pray about it first? Why don't you just seek the Lord on it for a little bit? Get back a hold of me this week and see and make sure. That's where God wants you to go. Because we're all called to serve, we're all called to work, we're all called to labor. We want to make sure that we're called in the right spot. So now let's get into some actual details here of where do we get to serve. Let's ignore the children's ministry stuff and all that. You guys all know those places. What about the other stuff? Well, one of the things that Paul always asks for service in the book of Romans here, he's always asked for the service of prayer. And I don't know why when the idea of prayer comes up and that's where we get to serve, I don't know why people just kind of like downplay that. Like, oh, it's just prayer. My goodness, we need more people praying. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Anna. She's a widow mentioned in Luke chapter 2. And the Bible says she served the Lord God in prayer and fastings. What a ministry. That was her ministry. She just prayed for people. She fasted over things. There's a reason why we hand out that Belmore prayer calendar. is because we want people praying over that every day. You may be really busy. You may be at a season of life right now where you say, you know what, I'd really like to go into Belmore. I can't. Or I'm really busy at work. i got some health issues going on. I physically can't. You can take that prayer calendar and put it up in your fridge. You can put it in your car. You can put it someplace you're going to see every day. And you can take time to pray for Belmore every day. That's a ministry. That's a service. We need more of that. That's one. What's some other practical ones you can do? How about verse 5? Did you catch this? Going back to verse 4, we have Priscilla and Aquila. They opened up their house. Verse 5, likewise greet the church that is in their house. Maybe you can open up your life and service. We know what? We always need people that are willing to say, here is my life. What do you need? I had a situation happen not too long ago where someone needed a specific item from church. I knew there was another couple out here at church that had it, and I called them up, and I already knew 
that they would say, whatever you need, feel free to take. Because they were willing to open up their house to anything, to say, whatever you need to help somebody else out, we're willing to do it. What a blessing it is to know that you have people that say whatever, whenever, however. What a blessing that is. You may not be able to go sign up for this. You may not be able to go physically help with that. But you can open up your house. You can open up your life. You can open up the items that you have and say, I am available to open up my life in any way whatsoever to serve in any capacity. What happens if you're going through something really tough, though? I mean, it's just a tough time of life. You may be sitting here and saying, physically, you have no idea how difficult it was even to get here this morning. You have no idea what I've been going through. You don't know what my last week has been like and the struggle I'm having spiritually, the struggle I'm having physically, the struggle I'm having emotionally, and you don't realize how difficult it is. Look at verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who are also in Christ before me. My fellow prisoners, kind of limited on what they can do. And that's the thing. Some of us are held in prison right now by our health. Some of us are held in prison right now by circumstances in our life that are beyond our control. And so you may be saying, I can't do anything. My life is so busy trying to keep these kids in order. My life is so busy just working at this job or forcing me into overtime. Uh, physically, I can't even barely get up, so I can't go over to Belmorell. I can't do this. I can't sign up. You know what, though? Verse 7, your life is a ministry. Because if you're going through that tough a time right now and everybody knows how tough a time it is, you're serving by just being a witness in a tough situation. See, and this is what happens. People come up to me a lot and say, well, I'm sorry, I can't do anything because my life is so crazy right now. And I would say, wait a second, you can always do something. Just be a light and a witness. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. I'm in such pain right now. Yeah, you're in such pain. But by the way you handle that pain physically is a witness to everybody else. By the way you handle that tough situation you're going through right now is a witness to everybody else. That's serving the Lord. You're not allowing the situation to control you. You're allowing the Savior to control you, which then makes you a witness in all that you do and say. You're serving God by going through a trial like Job did. Now, no one likes to go through a trial like Job. We joke out here all the time. We like to read about Job. We like to study about Job, but nobody wants to live like Job. Some of you are living like Job right now, and it's very, very difficult. That's a witness. So... When we talk about ministry, what you see here in Romans 16, you see the ministry of prayer. You see the ministry of opening up your house, your items. You see the ministry in verse 7 of opening up your life and being a witness in tough situations. Which takes us to that word labor, to grow weary, to grow tired, to be exhausted. Ministry is tough. I think what happens a lot of times is people say, I want to serve God. So they sign up for something or they jump on board with service. And then they realize how much spiritual sweat it is. It exhausts you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then you reach a point and you're saying, this isn't worth it. i got enough other stuff going on in my life right now. I don't need to be pulled down by this. But yet, the only thing that makes an eternal difference is the spiritual side of service. Jump, if you will, to Luke 5. I think Luke 5 is a neat example of the idea of how we can wear ourselves out and toil ourselves out until we come and really realize what Christ wants us to do. Luke 5, please. Because I bet a lot of us here would accept, and I should say admit, we're pretty weary, we're pretty tired, we're pretty exhausted. Luke 5, starting verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, meaning Jesus, obviously, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he said, sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. 
When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, I can relate to this. I can relate to this because I look at verse 5, and I say, I have toiled all night and caught nothing. I have sometimes looked at my life and said, okay, Lord, I've called them, I've wrote them, I've texted them, I've emailed them, I've gone over to their house. There's no spiritual fruit in any way whatsoever. I have toiled all night. I quit. I'm done. I've had people come in and say the same thing. I have tried so hard in this marriage. I just quit. I'm done. It's just not worth it. I've tried so hard talking to my neighbor. I'm quit. I'm done. I just, it's not worth it. Or I signed up to help in this area, and it was a lot more different and difficult than I thought. I, I'm done. I quit. We toil, and it doesn't work out the way we want, so we just quit. Well, then Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, why don't you try doing that over there? Now, you got to look at the perspective here a little bit from a couple different aspects. First off, did you catch back in verse 2, they were washing their nets. When you are washing your nets, that means you're done. They're, they're closing up shop. They're cleaning up, and they're being done for the day. So when it comes back and they say, you know what? We're done. Jesus comes and says, put your nets down one more time. That's the equivalent of you getting your whole day cleaned up. you got everything put away, every tool put back, and your boss shows up and says, get everything back out. No. It's 5 o'clock. I'm going home. I'm not doing that. But that's what Jesus is asking them to do. And he's saying, put down your nets. Now, this doesn't make sense because when they fished, they fished in the, in, at night generally. The waters were a little cooler, which meant the fish were higher up, and so therefore it was easier to catch. It makes no sense to put your net down at this time. No sense in any way whatsoever. So what you have here is you have these guys. Now, they don't know Jesus yet. They've already put everything away. They're tired from the day. They had a bad day at work. And now they're being asked to do something again. But yet, in obedience, they do it. Because the key thing, look at verse 5. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, that's where a lot of us stop. Lord, I've tried talking to him. It doesn't work. I quit. Lord, I've tried being nice to her, and it doesn't matter. I'm done. Lord, I've trusted you through this storm, and the storm keeps coming. I've stopped. But look at this rest word, verse 5. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. God says, go one more time, and that's what we do. See, that's working. That's laboring. We're weary. We're tired. We're exhausted. In our flesh, we want to quit. And God says, no, keep moving forward. One more point about this before we close up this point. Go to Matthew chapter 11, please. Let's build on this one more time. Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew 11. See, what happens is we're tired, we're weary, we're exhausted, we're working, we're laboring, be it through service to the Lord, be it through tough situations in life. We just want to stop. We just want to quit. Look here at Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word for labor right there in verse 28, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden, that's the same word in Romans 16. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you're weary, tired, and exhausted from life, he goes, come to me, give me all your burdens, and look at verse 28, I'll give you rest. What a fair exchange. I give God all my fear, all my worry, all my anxiety, all my labor I'm going through, all my tough times, my trials, all that discouragement, depression. He says, I'll take all of that and I'll give you rest in verse 28. So what happens is you go out and you serve the Lord. You toil. You labor. You grow weary, tired, and exhausted. And you know what you do? You come back into the arms of Jesus and you rest up for a while. And guess what? You go right back out again. 
Then you work, you toil, you labor, and you're exhausted, and then you come right back into Christ, and you rest up, and he sends you right back out again. That's a beautiful thing. When I get weary, tired, and exhausted through laboring for the Lord, I know I can come to Christ, I rest up, I regroup, I refresh, and he sends me right back out. Now, here's the problem. Some of us don't want to go right back out. <laughs> I just want to stay right there. So why serve? Have you ever thought about this? Why serve? Let's just be selfish for a second. What, what do we get out of serving? I made a quick list here, and I just listed five different things of why we should serve. And we're not going to go to every verse. We're just going to mention it. We're just going to, uh, if you're taking notes, write it down. First one is from John 12, verse 26. John 12, verse 26. The Bible says, when I serve the Lord, I am honored. By serving Christ, I get blessed. I, you do. I'm telling you right now, there's very few, for lack of a better word, better feelings than when you do something for the Lord and you make a difference for all of eternity and you say, wow, I'm honored to play a small part in something like that. See, by serving the Lord, we get rewarded. And usually at this point, there's someone that says, well, I don't care about rewards. I'm not in it for the rewards. I'm telling you right now, I'm in it for the rewards. And this is why I'm in it for the rewards. Because when you die and you go to heaven, you stand before Christ, he's going to ask you, what did you do with the years that I gave you on this earth? What are you going to do with those 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that I gave you on this earth? And then by our actions that we did on this earth, we are rewarded for that. Now, those rewards are not something that we walk around all of eternity saying, hey, look at me. Those rewards then are done in honor of Christ. So everything I did on this earth that I'm rewarded for, I lay right back at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I did it for you. So do I want to be rewarded for what I've done? Yes, I do. Not for my flesh, not for me. So that for way for all of eternity, I can lay those things back at Jesus and say, no, Christ, I did this for you. So we want to be honored because the more we're honored serving him, the more we get to honor Christ. The next one, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. By serving Christ, you have an opportunity to share about the Lord. What a great thing. You know, here in just a few weeks, we've got the garage sale giveaway coming up at the end of June. And if you're not familiar with that, I know we've been announcing it. Basically, people bring in all their stuff. And we have a garage sale that goes on back in the fellowship hall. But the catch is everything is free. I love it. I love it when somebody comes in and they're looking at the items. And it happens almost every year. They look at the items and they make some comment like, well, there's no price tags on it. And then we get to say, well, yeah, they're, they're all free. Just like the gospel is free, all these items are free. And there's always somebody that says, you know, come on, what's the catch? There is no catch. Just like the gospel is free, all these items are free. And through serving, you have an opportunity to tell people about Christ. I love it when we have an opportunity to go into the community and do something for somebody that maybe doesn't have a church home or doesn't have a real strong church presence in their life, not to lift up Harvest Fellowship. Who cares about Harvest Fellowship? It's all about Christ. But we have an opportunity to go into their lives and say, we're doing this in the name of Jesus. It's an opportunity to share done through serving. Why else do we serve? Well, according to Hebrews 12, 28... We serve because we have heaven. And according to Hebrews 9.14, we serve because we have salvation. So just think about that. Jesus has given you an eternal home in heaven. He's given you eternity and salvation. The least we could do is serve him. It's like when you go out for lunch with somebody and you get done eating and they pick up the bill and they say, oh, I got it. There's that awkwardness of, wait a second, they got the bill. I feel like, okay, can I at least throw a couple bucks down on the table for a tip? Well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He gave me an eternity in heaven. He's given me eternal salvation through his blood. Lord, what, can I at least serve you? Can I do something? Can I do something to say thank you for, for what you've done for me? So I serve for, so that way through all of eternity I can honor Christ more. I serve because it's an opportunity to tell other people about Jesus. I serve because Jesus gave me heaven. Jesus gave me salvation. It's the least I can do back. And then I serve lastly because Christ set the example. We talk about this passage all the time, but in John 13, 
the creator of the universe got on his hands and knees and washed people's feet. That, that, is, that is unbelievable to me. The creator of the universe got down on his hands and knees and washed people's feet. That's just a fascinating thing to me. What an example that is. What an example. You know, obviously we got a newborn at home, and newborns are so cute. And one of the cutest things about a newborn, they're just little feet, you know? Problem is newborns turn into boys. We were sitting at home the other day, and the boys came in from the outside, and they took their sandals off, and we were sitting there. It's like, you guys, your feet are disgusting. Go jump right in the, in the tub. I love you, but not enough to wash your feet. Here's Jesus washing grown men. What an example. So if he set the example, he even went one step further. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew 20, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So God said, I'm going to come down as a man, but I don't, I'm not coming to be served as God. I came down to set the example of service. So it's amazing when I run into Christians where they think things are below them. Jesus said nothing was below him. What an example of service there to do. So we look at all the good that comes out of service, all the blessings we get. You ever stop and think, why is it still so difficult to do? I think the answer is found here is continue on in Romans. Look at verse 17 of Romans 16. Why is it so difficult to serve? Verse 17 says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. You know why it's so difficult to serve? Because you have to serve with people. It's tough serving with other people. There are some people that, that you don't want to serve with. You don't. Because why? Because you look at verses 17 and 18. There's brethren that cause division and offenses. There's some people that are really difficult to be around. And so what happens, this is why some people say, well, this is why I don't get involved with church. It's just easier to stay home and read my Bible myself, just watch somebody on, on TV. I had somebody one time tell me, I said, hey, I haven't seen you at church in a while. And they said, oh, yeah. It's just easier to stay home and, and watch this preacher on TV. And, and I don't know if they meant it the way it came across, but this is exactly what they said. They said the preaching's better. I, 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 don't, I said, I don't disagree with that. I know who you're talking about. I, the, the preaching's better. But it really makes it difficult to say, well, please still come. Um, <laughs> But the reason you come together collectively is there's something in coming together as a group. That, that's the point, is God wants us to come together. And this is where you really get down to the nitty-gritty, because this is where people say, well, this is why I don't like to go. I don't like being around all those other people. God has designed us as a social unit. And as a social unit, the purpose of coming together is to serve one another, fellowship one another, encourage one another, uplift one another. And as we've said out here numerous times, if you are just coming into church with the assumption of, I'm just going to find my seat, sit down, listen to the music, listen to the announcements, listen to the message, and get out, you're missing the entire purpose of church. The purpose of church is to come together to bless others and be blessed, serve others and be served, uplift others and be uplifted. Sometimes you're going to come and you're going to be the one encouraging others. You're going to see that person having a difficult time. You're going to say, I want to go encourage them. Other time, you're going to come and be the one encouraged. But we get together to serve. So what happens is when you have a verse 17 and 18, you see people that are causing divisions and offenses, and they're difficult to be around. So then what happens is you say, I quit. It's easier than trying to be around them, and we're missing the point. Now, is there certain people you just need to stay away from? Yeah. I have people come up to me a lot with counseling, and they'll fill in the blank with whatever person you want. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my friend, whatever. Every time I get around them, they're just causing problems. Every time we get around them, they're just driving a wedge in the relationship. Every time we get around them, they're just being difficult. What do I do? My first response is always love them unconditionally like Christ does. My second response is don't be around them. Well, i got to be around them. we got a big family get-together coming up. No, you don't have to be around them. 
No, we do. No, you don't. If there are people causing divisions and contrary and they're difficult because they're causing problems. Now listen, I'm not saying just because they're difficult. The Bible says right here, avoid them. Now it's really easy then just to reach a point of saying, well, I'm not going to be around anybody. Then you're being the difficult one, you know? There's always going to be people that rub you the wrong way and there's always going to be people that are difficult. I tell people this all the time. You're always going to have somebody in your life that you probably would not choose to. And that's one way that Christ teaches you unconditional love. That's just the truth. What we're talking about here in verses 17 and 18 are people that are causing problems. They are just plain out causing problems. Right here, causing division, offensive, contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, avoid them. There's nothing wrong with that. These are not just people you don't quote-unquote click with. These are not just people that you really just don't get along with. These are people that are out there purposely causing a problem, and you just say, you know what, I don't need to be around this. I just don't. Now, the context of what we're talking about here seems to be more about people in the church. Because when you're dealing with non-believers, I have a lot of times where Christians say, I just don't like being around non-believers. Then you're missing the whole purpose of the gospel. We're going to be around those co-workers that are difficult, those people that are hard to be around. That's why we're here, is we're supposed to go into the non-believing world and be a light and a witness. Not because we're better than them, because we love them in Christ and we want to speak, excuse me, speak to them the truth. So, there's going to be non-believers that are difficult. Of course there is. But sometimes those are the people we need to be around more. These are people here in verse 17, when you look at the context, that are difficult, causing problems. What do you do with that? Well, we got an example about this real quick. Can you go with me to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. And then we've just got two more points that we're going to finish this up. Luke chapter 10. Because sometimes what you have is you have people that I believe are trying to do what's right and good in their heart, but they come across as being divisive and causing offenses. Luke chapter 10, please. Sometimes I find it easier to work with non-believers than it is to work with believers. Luke 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, Now it happened as they went that he, meaning Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Have you ever served with a Martha? My goodness, they'll get the job done, but at what cost? It's difficult. I I I've served with Marthas before. Look at verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. I've seen people so focused on serving, they lose all type of Christian love in any way whatsoever. And what happens is they're so focused on serving, they forget why they're serving. And sometimes those are the people that need to take a break. Because you look at Mary. What's Mary doing? Well, Mary, she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus being taught. Somebody needs to clean up the table. And Jesus very quietly, very nicely rebukes Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. And what happens is sometimes, and I've seen this, people will say, hey, I really want to serve in that area. And I'm like, oh, that's exciting. It's neat to see God leading and stuff. So they're like, they go to sign up for that area, and they say, well, who's heading it up? I'll say so-and-so. Oh, I don't know if I feel led anymore because, you know, that's a Martha. Now, before we pick on Martha too much, I heard a teaching one time that says you need Marthas in your church. If you didn't have Marthas in your church, many things would never get done. And there's a lot of truth. Somebody said that's right over there. That's a Martha. I don't know who it said it, but I'm just telling you over there someone said it. Marthas serve a point. They are the drill instructors of Christianity. But what Jesus is trying to say here is, look at verse 39. Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the word being taught. Martha is serving. Boy, 
the importance is hearing the word being taught. And I taught this one time before, and I had someone come up to me after the message and said, yes, the importance of the word being taught. But if you didn't have Martha's, who would get the lights turned on? Who would turn the air on? Who would get everything done? Agreed. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, and I'm appreciative of those Martha's. But at the same time, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Sometimes you can become so focused on the serving, you forget why you're doing it. And what happens is, in your good intentions of seeing the kingdom of God furthered, you become a distraction. You become an offense. You become divisive. And that's where we really need to step back sometimes and say, Lord, help me to be a team player here. Because you know what? We're not all going to agree. We're never all going to agree on everything. It's just, it's not going to be possible. But we all agree that the goal and purpose is to see souls get saved in Jesus Christ. That's the main thing there. Why else is it difficult to serve? Two more points here and we're done. Verse 19. It says, For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Why is this so difficult to serve? Because I'm not simple concerning evil. In fact, I'm fluent in evil. I'm really good at sin. I'm really good at evil things. Because what's happened is in the years that I've been alive, there's been a lot of words and a lot of images that have come into my mind. And it's amazing how those words and images come into your mind and they don't leave. They stay there. Things that you shouldn't have seen are still there. Things that you shouldn't have heard are still there. Things you shouldn't have said still come out of your mouth. Boy, I wish we could be, verse 19, wise in what's good, simple concerning evil. Some translation says naive or innocent concerning evil. And the problem is we look at that word and say, well, that's the problem with Christians. We live in such a bubble and all this type of stuff. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is if we see that's evil and we see that's something that's sinful, we just don't need to be around it. But did you hear what they did on that show last night? No, I, I didn't hear what they did on that show last night. I, I, don't, I don't watch that. Not because I'm holier than thou, because I want to be simple concerning evil. But did you, did you hear those lyrics? Did you see that movie? Did you hear that joke? Did you laugh at that story? No, I try to be simple concerning evil. We come across as country bumpkins then, right? Well, the Bible makes it abundantly clear this is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. So according to this world, as we've joked about for the last few weeks, the Bible says I'm a very peculiar person to this world, and I'm okay with that because I want to be simple concerning evil. I think every single one of us here today would, be, would love to go into the, our mind and like to clean out a lot of the junk that we've placed in there. Lord, help us to be simple concerning evil. Here's the last point that ties in. Verse 20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Which goes right along with verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began. Verse 20, there's this satanic influence in the world that tries to bring us down. Verse 25, but then there's Jesus that establishes us as according to the gospel. That word establish is a really neat word. It means to make strong, to fix, to make firm. It always reminds me of concrete every time I think about that. Think about when the concrete's wet, that you can go in and stick your hand in there and make that handprint, and then it dries, and it's established, it's strong, it's fixed, it's firm. And I realize that's what Christ is trying to do in verse 25. Christ is trying to make me solid in him. He wants to establish me in him, to make me fixed and firm and strong in him in my walk. But the problem is, verse 20, there's this whole Satan thing. It has to be taken care of. But when you look at verse 20, do you not realize God's going to crush him? We win. Too often I see Christians walking around in victim mentality. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my life's been like. You don't know how hard it's been. You don't know what I struggle with. And you're right, I don't. But the Bible says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The Bible says right here in verse 20 that you're going to crush the enemy through Christ. We win. There's a victory there. And so even though 
There's the struggle of dealing with people in verses 17 and 18. There's the struggle in verse 19 of evil trying to pull me down. Verse 25, Christ establishes me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, the God of peace crushes the enemy, and I get to walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We win. And what a blessing that is to see the big picture. So let's put this all together. What does Romans 16 tell us? We're called to be servants, workers, laborers. Laboring is difficult. It's weary. It's tiring. It's exhausting. And what happens is we need to go to Christ to be refreshed and regrouped, take his rest upon our shoulders, his yoke upon our shoulders. And then we go back out there and serve again. Why is it so difficult to serve? We have to serve with other people. (laughs) we got to serve in a fallen world. We have to serve in an evil place. But as we serve, we know that we have an opportunity to share. It's our way of, if you will, and I use this term very lightly, of paying back, if you will, or saying thanks to Christ. You gave me heaven. You gave me salvation. You set the example. Now I want to go out and serve you and all that I say and do. So what I want to do here is I want to finish with communion. Go ahead, Bob. It's because I think it's important in situations like this. It's really easy to look at something and say, it's tough. And, and I don't know what you guys are struggling with. And this is why you can take it to the Lord in communion. Maybe you came in here today and you were just struggling physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're going through a trial and a tribulation right now that you've never been through in such a difficult time. Then you need to go to the Lord here in communion and say, Lord, I need your rest. 